pray together. Holy God, we are so grateful that you're with us this morning and that we get to reflect on how awesome and holy and wonderful you are. We thank you that we have reassurance that you will always provide whatever we need and that you're always with us. And so God, as we turn our hearts and minds to you, we ask that you'll calm the stresses of the week and the busyness of the weekends and allow us a few minutes to focus and learn on what you need us to hear this morning. We love you, Lord. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> that was a response. Good morning, everyone. Thank you very much. It's good to see all of you. We appreciate you being here. This is your first time here. We're glad that you have come to join us. There should be a connect card in the pew rack right in front of you. You can let us know that you've been here. If you have prayer concerns, things you need us to know, write them on that same card and drop it in the offering plate. We'll be in touch with you, but we're glad that you are here this morning, and we hope that you will join us often and let us know when we can be of help to you. We are right in the middle of a series called Spirit-Filled Stewardship. The scripture that we are looking at today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. And he was setting out on a journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? <clears throat> Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, the man was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God, but not for God, for all things are possible with God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At our 830 service, when it came to the verse that says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, it was right when I read it, but it was on the screen saying, thou shalt commit adultery. I wondered why the whole room smiled just as I said that. <clears throat> it was, uh, we corrected it, by the way, before we got to this service, but uh, it was very popular at the 830 service. One of the most amazing things that, that happens when you meet Jesus or you talk about Jesus is that Jesus either brings out the best in people or he brings out the worst in people. There's not a lot of middle ground with Jesus. A few years ago, I was sitting in the airport and waiting for my flight. There was a man sitting across from me and we started talking and he asked me what I did and I told him I was the pastor of this church and he was a Christian so we started talking for a few minutes about our faith. Then they called his flight and so he got up 
up to leave. We said our goodbyes. And as he was walking off, I happened to look over and I noticed there was a young woman sitting just over to my left. And she was glaring at me. If Lutz could have killed, I would have been a dead man that morning. She got up. She gathered her stuff. She was going on the same flight he was. As she walked by me, she just said, only fools believe in Jesus. Christianity is the worst thing that ever happened to this world. And then she went right on down the ramp and went to her plane. I have no idea why she said that, but I have feeling that some really bad experiences have come to her along the way at the hands of what we would call bad church. And it left a bad taste in her mouth for everything that had to do with Jesus. I don't know that for sure, but that is my assumption because that's usually what happens. Jesus tends to bring out the best in people or the worst in people. The church sometimes either brings out the best or the worst, sometimes deservedly. However, in this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today, with the possible exception of Jesus, Judas Iscariot, the story of the rich young ruler is the only story in the Gospels where you see both the best and the worst at the same time from the same person. For instance, if you grew up in church like I did, you've heard the story of the rich young ruler many, many times. What you probably didn't know is that only Matthew calls him rich, only Mark calls him young, and only Luke calls him a ruler. John doesn't mention him at all. He's never mentioned in his gospel. However, we know this is a true story because it appears in three of the gospels and it's almost exactly the same in each one of those gospels. But unfortunately, that's the problem with this passage of Scripture. If you ask people what's their favorite verse or passage of Scripture in the Bible, about 70% of Christians will say the 23rd Psalm. But if you ask people what is their least favorite in the Bible, this passage I've just read to you will come up in the top five every time. Why? Because it contains two of the hardest sayings, least popular sayings that you will find in the Bible anywhere. The first one is Mark 10, 21. Go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. The second one is Mark 10, 25. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, folks, nobody likes those two verses of Scripture. I don't care how dedicated you are as a Christian. But Jesus said both of those verses. So the question is, how are we going to deal with them? Well, if you want to get to the bottom line of this passage, you have to start with the truth. And the truth is, most of us tend to think this passage is not about us. It doesn't have anything to do with us. Back about 20 years ago, I met a guy for breakfast down at the breakfast place. It used to be in the middle of town down here. And just as we sat down, he looked over at me. It was a Monday morning. He said, that was just a great sermon that you did yesterday, Tommy. Those people really needed to hear that. It was all I could do to keep from saying, well, that's interesting because when I wrote that sermon, you're who I was thinking about. That's kind of how it is with the rich young ruler. For some reason, we never think this story is about us because we never think of ourselves as being rich. 
But that's the catch here. The rich young ruler didn't know that he was rich, and he was proud of the fact that he was rich. This man thought that he was favored by God because he was rich. And the reason he thought that is because that's what his religion had always taught him. According to Hebrew tradition, if you had a lot of money and you came by it honestly, then that money was a blessing from God. You had found favor with God. The reason you were wealthy was because God gave it to you. It was a sign that God was on your side. That's why the prosperity gospel is so popular right now in the United States. People want to believe this. They want to accept this gospel. The church is declining all over the country and has been since the year 2000. But a study just came out this past week that showed that some of the only churches in the country that is growing rapidly are the prosperity gospel churches. I am not a big fan of Joel Osteen. If you've been here many times, you've heard me say that. But Joel Osteen is the lead proponent of prosperity gospel, and there are almost 90,000 people a week that go to his churches to listen to him preach a gospel that is the exact opposite of everything that Jesus taught. The prosperity gospel cannot be fit with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but people want to believe that nonsense because they want to be blessed the way the rich young ruler was blessed. That's the message that the rich young ruler believed. That's why this man was bothered that his wealth, that's why this man wasn't bothered that, his, that he was wealthy while most of the world around him couldn't even afford to buy food. His possessions were his credentials. This man thought his wealth gave him the right to go to a great rabbi and ask questions because anybody could see that God was on his side. Anybody could see that he had been blessed by God. But what shocked the rich young ruler was that Jesus wasn't in the least bit impressed by his wealth. All Jesus saw was a nice young man who had achieved a lot in life, and now he wanted to achieve as much in heaven as he had on earth. This man thought he was willing to do anything that Jesus would ask him to do in order to achieve what he wanted to achieve. He wanted to add heaven to his list of possessions, and he thought he was willing to do whatever Jesus told him to do to accomplish that. If Jesus had told this boy to go buy shoes for everybody in town, he would have gone and done that in a heartbeat. If Jesus had said, I want you to put everything you have in storage and then come follow me for a while, my guess is this young man would have done that too. This man was an extraordinary man. He wanted Jesus to give him an extraordinary assignment, and if he would do that, he would gladly follow but that wasn't what he got from Jesus. In fact, what Jesus told this man was almost insulting. He said, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. This man asked Jesus if he could do something, and Jesus gave him something to do. But the problem was, it was the same thing that everybody was supposed to do. There wasn't anything extraordinary at all about what Jesus told him to do. So this man looked at Jesus and said, but teacher, I've kept the commandments since I was a boy. 
That man had been watching Jesus long before he went to Jesus that day. He saw Jesus had a peace that passed all understanding in his heart. He saw a peace inside Jesus that he knew he didn't have. He had been keeping the law all of his life, so he knew that wasn't enough. He was wealthy. He knew that wasn't enough. This man knew something was missing, and so he went to Jesus and he asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? This man had earned his wealth, so he thought that he should be able to do something to earn the kind of peace that Jesus had. If he could just do the right thing, then he could inherit what was rightfully his as a Jewish man and as one who had clearly been favored by God. Folks, it is no wonder that Jesus looked at this man and loved him. It is no wonder that Jesus thought the world of this young man when he came to him because if there's anybody in the Bible that was a true seeker, this young man was it. He knew there had to be more to life than what he had found so far, and he was humble enough to actually go to ask Jesus to help him find it. So Jesus looked at this young man. He looked down inside this young man's soul, and then he said, there's one thing you lack. I can just imagine that that was the most thrilling moment that that young man had ever had. Jesus was about to show him the missing ingredient, and he was willing to do whatever he had to do to add eternal life to his list of possessions. But the problem was, the answer to his problem was not going to be found through addition. It was going to be found through subtraction. Go sell what you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This man was a big man and he had a lot of things in his life. But Jesus wanted to make this man smaller. He wanted to make him more agile. He wanted to turn this young man into a new person. He wanted this, this young man to know how to define himself, not by what he owned or by what other people thought of him, but by who he was in the eyes of God. Jesus wasn't trying to make this guy poor. And he wasn't trying to say there's anything wrong with being wealthy. What he was saying was, you're not seeing yourself through God's eyes. You think you're wealthy because God gave you the wealth, but he didn't. And you're trying to buy spiritual peace by doing something to earn it, but you can't. Jesus was not trying to make this man poor. What Jesus was trying to do was set this man free. This man's wealth had become the definition of his life, and he thought God loved him more than he loved all the other people because he was wealthy. But what both he and Jesus knew very well was this man wasn't a joyful person. So Jesus offered him the opportunity to trade in all of those words and things that he had that he used to describe himself. Words like wealthy, powerful, cultured, respected, responsible, educated, influential, religious. Jesus wanted him to trade in all of those words for one very different word, and that word was disciple. That word was follower. Come follow me and you'll find spiritual peace. 
Jesus was doing his best to try to set this man free from a false religion and a false identity because that's what he needed and that's what we need as well. There's not a person in this room who doesn't have something standing between them and God, between us and, and the good life that God wants us to have, between us and the person that God thought of when he first thought of us. Back in the 1980s when he was the pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in Hollywood, California, Dr. Lloyd Ogilvy was trying to lead a friend of his to faith in Jesus. One day they were sitting together and Lloyd was challenging this man to give up an old way of thinking. When he did, the man slammed his hands down on the arms of the chair and he said, Lloyd, what do you want from me? And when he did, Lloyd looked at him and he smiled and very quietly he said, I want your life to be as beautiful as it was in the mind of God when he first thought of you. That's what Jesus wanted for the rich young ruler. He wants him to be a spirit-filled steward of true faith because that is what brings meaning. That is what brings purpose to our lives. And that's exactly what God wants for us. But the only way that you can find spirit-filled stewardship is by subtracting whatever it is that's standing between us and God, by subtracting whatever it is that's keeping us from being the best follower of Jesus that we can be. And in the case of the rich young ruler, it was his money. There are two ways the church has botched this scripture over the centuries. The first way is to pretend that this is not about money. The second way is to pretend that this is only about money. This story is about money because as far as Jesus was concerned, money is a lot like nuclear power. It does a lot of good as long as you keep it within certain limits. But the problem is we don't know how to handle it any more than some people would know how to handle nuclear power. Most people come into big money and the first thing that happens is it starts to contaminate them. They get contaminated by the power that it gives them and they get contaminated by the false sense of independence that it gives them. Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, was an individual that never let his money and his success go to his head. The more money he made, the more he gave away to benevolent causes. He spent a big chunk of his life trying to convince Warren Buffett, one of his best friends that, of the Christian faith. He wanted Warren to find what he had found. Warren Buffett is basically a good guy in many ways, but he does not use his money for benevolent causes the way Truett Cathy did and Truett spent his life trying to make him understand that the more he would give, the happier he would become. Money can corrupt us. It can contaminate us. We want it too much. We believe in it like it's some kind of a God. We put our security in it and we define ourselves by how much money we make. We let how much money we either do or don't have define our worth as a human being. Money can become our God. It can become the definition of who we are and that's exactly what happened to the rich young ruler. He let money become the definition of his life and his faith. And when he did, it became a chain around his soul. Now, I know everybody doesn't do that. 
I know people who have lots of money and, and they use it very well and it has not contaminated them. I know quite a few spirit-filled stewards in life like Truett, Kathy, and others who are very wealthy people, but unfortunately the chance of that happening, the chance of money bringing us closer to God, the chance of money making us a better person in life is about as good as trying to shove a camel through the eye of a needle which is what Jesus meant when he gave us that verse. We all think that we'll be the one who will do it right. We'll be the benevolent one. We, we, we'd be eternally grateful to God if he would just let us win the lottery. I'm always amazed at how many people actually tell me out loud that they pray to win the lottery. I'm sure that the rich young ruler felt like he had already won the lottery. But that's not how things happen for the rich young ruler, and it's usually not how it happens with us. The rich young ruler's story is about money, but it's not just about money. Because if it was, we could go out and buy our way in heaven as well. We could buy our way to eternal life. We could earn the kingdom of God, but we can't. Oh, some people feel like they can. They donate to Adam's Mark mission or they donate to some other mission that's out there to some good cause that's under us and they feel very good about it. But it doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or whether you're sitting on the street with a tin cup waiting for people to drop money into your cup that you're going to try to live off of. Whichever one we do, whichever one we are, it's not going to buy us a mansion in heaven or even a street that we can walk down to try to get there. And the reason it is not is because the kingdom of God is not for sale. The poor can't buy it with their poverty and the rich can't buy it with their wealth because the kingdom of God is a free gift that has to be accepted. But the catch is you have to be free to take it. A few years ago, we had a special Christmas event here at the church, and always on Christmas, people bring some little things for, for us to, to have as a staff or for the staff families to have. Quite often, I get gift cards to Mill Mountain Coffee or to Starbucks because people know I like coffee. Hint, hint. But anyway, people had brought all kinds of stuff to us that were really small things. I had put them all on my desk. And when the services and everything was over, I went and gathered them up and started to the car. Just as I did, someone was coming across the parking lot and they had a basket full of goodies that they were sending home for Susan and me. And I thanked them profusely and I was so glad that they had brought it, but my hands were so full that I couldn't take anything else. I had to get them to walk to my car with me and put it down because I had too much in my hands to try to hold what they were giving me. You can't make room for something beautiful in your life if your life is too cluttered to put anything else in it. If your hands are too full to take it, it's going to be a very hard time in your life. That's what Jesus was trying his best to make the rich young ruler understand. You can't accept grace if you, if you have more faith in your possessions than you do in Jesus. And you can't follow God if you're too encumbered to actually follow the man. That's why the rich young ruler went away crying. Mark 10, And when he heard what Jesus said, he was shocked and he went away grieving for he had many possessions. That man walked away from Jesus in tears because all of a sudden he understood that he wasn't free. 
His possessions were like a ball and chain hanging around his neck. Everything that was supposed to make him free had turned him into a prisoner. And that leads to another question. What is there in our lives that's standing between us and God? What, what, is the, what is the ball and chain that we have in our lives? What's keeping us from being the spirit-filled stewards of life that God wants us to be? Is it money? Is it bitterness? Is it anger? Is it distrust? Is it self-esteem? Is it our inability to admit who we truly are and, and to live into that? Is it embarrassment to even share who we truly are with other people? Is it an addiction of some sort to alcohol or to drugs or to sex? What is it that's standing between us and God? Jesus said, I have come that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. What is keeping us from fully accepting God's joy? The rich young pruner was the only person in the Gospel of Mark, and I think he's the only person in all four of the Gospels who ever went to Jesus to try to find something and he did not walk away with it in his life. It's the only person who ever came to Jesus who didn't receive the blessing that he was wanting by his own choice, not by Jesus's. And the really sad part of this is this man didn't have to give up his money at all. Mary Magdalene was a very wealthy woman. When she became a Christian person, she turned her money into a tool for spreading the gospel. She paid for most of the mission work and, and the establishment of new churches that the disciples did after Jesus was resurrected. Her money became her instrument for reaching out and trying to change the world. The rich young ruler did not have to give up his money any more than Mary did. What he had to do was recognize that his money was his God. This man was more afraid of poverty than he was of spiritual bondage. He just couldn't believe that the opposite of rich isn't poor. The opposite of rich is slavery. It's emptiness. It's loneliness. It's spiritual death. What's making a slave out of us? What's standing between us and the peace that passes all understanding? What's blocking us from having the life that Jesus wants us to have? What's keeping us from following Jesus the way he wants us to follow him? What's keeping us from spirit-filled stewardship? If we can answer that question and leave it at the foot of the cross, we'll find the peace that passes all understanding. We'll find the joy that Jesus says will make us complete. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray today that we will be honest with ourselves about who we are, that we will be honest with ourselves about what we should be in our lives, what would make us truly happy and truly fulfilled. What, what is it that you want us to own or you want us to let go of so that we can walk as closely to you as we can. Make it so this morning, Lord, because we need you. We need you in our lives. We need you in our hearts. We need you to guide us. We need you to show us the way. We need you to make us complete. We need you to fill us with peace and joy and love and hope.
Help us, Lord, to be willing to come to you and say, Lord, I'll set aside whatever I need to set aside to walk as closely with you as I can because I know you're what I need. Hear our prayer. Amen. Lord, we come before you with open hearts. Help us to come before you with honest hearts. Help us to look at ourselves honestly and to see where it is that we are not letting you be the Lord of our lives. And then help us to realize how much we need you. Help us to be willing to put down whatever we have to put down in order to lift up your grace and experience it fully. You've come to give us life eternal, life filled with joy and peace and hope, life that comes to us even in the midst of the struggles and, and the pains, and you remind us that true joy isn't happiness. It's knowing that in whatever we are facing or dealing with, you are right there with us and you will strengthen us and you'll fill us with your hope even in the midst of it. So help us, Lord, to ask ourselves honestly who we are in your eyes and then to try to live into what you are trying to give us. Help us to be more like you, Lord. Bless us. Fill us with your hope. And now may the Lord bless and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace this day and every day, now and forevermore. Amen.